with unveiled face, beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. How? Why? Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And this is the real key. The, the, the aching in my heart is for God to help us to make the transition. Because for the most part, many of us, are, we, are, we are living a mixture. We live a mixture of the Lord today and the grace today. And sometimes within the same day, both of them. And as long as you live in a mixture, you really cannot get a result. You cannot get a result. I think Pastor Della said it best when he came here in June. He talked about these uh, smartphones. And many of us, we carry smartphones. And so from time to time, they will send updates to those phones, right? You get updates on your phones? Where they tell you to shut the phone off and the new update will be installed on your phone. And from that point on, you become current with the latest software of, or, or upgrade on that particular device. And what happens is, is, over, is, is if over time you refuse to do the upgrade and to install that new software, you just refuse. You, just, you see the notice, you ignore it. You see the notice, you ignore it. After a while, what happens to your device? Shuts down. It malfunctions. It doesn't work any longer. That's where many of us are. We've been used to a certain diet, religious diet, over the years. <coughs> Me inclusive. And so when God begins to open our eyes to show us, I don't want to call it a new thing because it's not new. It just had been veiled to us. We just have not seen it because we've been so used to doing certain things for a long time. And let me ask to you, it's not easy to make the transition. And the reason I say that is because even the scriptures tell us, Peter in Galatians chapter 2, Paul had to confront him. And said, man, Peter, what's wrong with you? We are in this together. We receive this grace together. We, 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 Jesus showed us this. And now you are in Galatia among the uh, Jews and you live a hypocritical life. Head on, you have to challenge him. Because you see, it's so easy for me and you to go back to what we used to, what we know. Rather than explore the depths of the, of the reality of what God is saying to us. Amen? Amen. Now, on Sunday, I began to show us God's, if you will, prototype of how we should live today. Now, isn't it amazing when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of all the miracles Jesus performed? Did you ever at one time see Jesus ask any of those recipients of the miracles? Have you been drinking alcohol? Are you high on dope? Are you, are, are you a dopist? Did he ask any of them at any given time? Now, first of all, let, let, let me back up. Do you believe or agree that all, or not being, maybe not all, most of the people we healed or uh, performed a miracle were sinners? Do you agree that? Oh, a sinner received the miracle power of God? If a sinner came to our meeting tonight, we would give them 19 laws of what they need to do. Hello? Before they can receive anything from God. Is that not, is that not the way churchianity has taught us? You are telling me you are daughter. I want God to heal you. Come on, repent first. Did Jesus ask anyone to repent before he blessed them? You guys talk to me, man. Please. Now, if Jesus in person did not make that criteria, if he did not do that, why do you think you have to put a stumbling block before you can receive anything from God? Find it for me. You are Bible scholars. Go to Mark, go to, go to Matthew, go to Luke, go to John, and find for me where Jesus said, I cannot bless you unless you do one, two, three. Find it for me. And yet, that's what we've been preaching, that's what we've been receiving, and that's what you're telling your friends, and that's your expectation that you give 
You, you, you mount up and say, well, I can't get this from God unless I do ABC. Now, understand what I'm saying. I'm not asking us to be indulging in any kind of unrighteous living. As you guys have heard this over and over, by now you should know that. But for adventure you don't know, let me say it again. <laughs> we are not asking anyone to indulge in any lifestyle that is ungodly. There are consequences. But you just need to understand the consequences not with God. Okay, for instance, God forbid, this will never happen. If I commit adultery. So, so God gets off his throne because I commit adultery? No. But in the physical, my wife has an issue with that. And she should. So these sins, the complaining, the murmuring, the grumbling, the unrighteousness has horizontal consequences. You destroy relationships. You damage lives. You break people's hearts. It is not good. But God does not stop being God for one nanosecond. He doesn't. I mean, can you challenge what I just shared with you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Did Jesus perform miracles? (laughs) You guys are not talking to me, man. (laughs) Did he ask anybody any question? Absolutely. Blind Bartimaeus, what did you do to become blind? Let's go and check your history. Let's find your grandmother. What did your mother do? You, you must have done something. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. And the reason I'm going this way tonight is because you need to know what stops me and you from receiving from God is condemnation. You condemn yourself because you are thinking that God thinks like you think. And it doesn't. It doesn't. Now, to the degree that you've received the revelation of God's love, to that degree, you yourself will never desire to touch anything ungodly. The reason we do sin is because the revelation of the love of God is not real to us in those areas of our life. The the more real it is, the more you get away from that kind of lifestyle. That's just a simple truth. Amen? Okay, so, so I think I've flogged that adequately enough because I want to disabuse your mind because we, we, we bring these stumbling blocks. We, we, we are saying to God, God, no, really, I don't really deserve to be blessed by you because, you know, I didn't give my wife this morning. I didn't give my husband last night. My children, we have all the reasons. We are the ones that bring the reasons to God and say, God, you really, you can't bless me yet. You see, because I need to get my act together. All the while, he's looking to bless you. But you are talking yourself out of receiving what God has for you because you think you've earned it or you've not earned it. And what I was trying to show you on Sunday was to show you a gap, a period of time where he left Egypt through the power of the blood from Exodus chapter 12 through Exodus chapter 19. Let's read, let's read Exodus 19. Exodus 19. Exodus 19. Verse 1. In the third month, after after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and encamped in the wilderness... So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Who did all the work? God. God. Now look at what it says, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Verse 8. 
Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. It would have been best for them to keep their mouth shut. That is the strategy. Because now they say to God, everything you said, we will do. Can they really do it? No. No. And because they said, because they, said they will do everything God has said, which you and I now know, that if you omit to do one title or one jot of the law, you're condemning all. So unfortunately, at this junction, the law was introduced. Up to this point, there was no law. God had not given the law to Moses up to Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. Amen? And so, from Exodus 12 up to this point, we see that these guys could not do anything wrong. I showed you on Sunday how they got to the Red Sea, how they were complaining and murmuring, it better to have died in Egypt. Why are you bringing us here? Bang, 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 bang. They just went on, 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 on. Now, that would have been a good place for God to disqualify them and say, you, you, guys are, you guys are irresponsible. You're ungrateful. Just perish. Did he do that? No. No. Why? Because the Bible says to us that the things that happen are four times, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, that those things happen to be examples to you and I. So we will see how God, we will know how God thinks. Amen? They went on from there. In Exodus chapter 15, they were thirsty. They got to the water at Mara. The water was bitter. Again, they began to complain. And again, God totally ignored their complaint and still met their need. And then Exodus chapter 16, on and on and on, up until Exodus 19. So what I'm saying to us tonight is, why did God do it for them and he will not do it for us? Or maybe I should ask that question this way. Will God do it for them and will he not do it for us? What's the difference? What's the difference? Now, let, let me read a couple more scriptures and then, and then I'm, I'm going to let you... Ask whatever questions you have, then we're going to pray. Uh, the, the letter kills, yes. But the spirit gives life. In Exodus 32, Exodus chapter 32, because now from Exodus 19, on through chapter 20, chapter 21, and on and on and on, Moses is communing with God. Okay? In fact, let's read Exodus 24 first. Exodus chapter 24. Let's read that first. In verse 2. Exodus 24, verse 2. Look at what it says. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. But they, the Israelites, the congregation, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. Now, that is important that you notice that. Because what we just read in Exodus 19, in verses 5 and 6, was God's intention that the Israelites would be his kingdom of priests. He wants to be around them. He wants to be with them. He wants to fellowship with them. But when they rejected him and turned him down, in Exodus 24, he said, okay, all right, okay, this is the deal now. Moses, only you will come near. The rest of the guys, they will not come near. Remember that, because we're going to read the scripture later on that should bring this back to your remembrance. Now, Exodus 32. Exodus 32. So now Moses has gone up, is God is giving, me command, giving him the commandments. And as he was coming down, the Israelites, I mean, can you imagine how ridiculous these guys are? Moses was gone for 40 days. And in that period of time, they said, Aaron, make us a God. Because as for this Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. 
I mean, how disillusioned can a human can people be so quickly? And the guy got their earrings, and from their gold, he made them a golden image, and they all said, yes, this is our God. Now, as a result of that, Moses comes down from the mountain, and judgment struck. In verse 18 of Exodus 32, we read, but he said, it is not the noise of shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. Verse uh, 28. Let me just jump. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Now the law is instituted. Whereas before this time, people complained, they murmured, they did what they wanted to do, God didn't touch them. Now under the law, because now under the law, your blessing is performance-based. You do good to get good, you do bad, you get bad. So under this system now, they were worshipping in idolatry and God in one day, 3,000 died. Now contrast that to the day of Pentecost. Because remember what we, how we started? The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. On the day of Pentecost, what happened? 3,000 received a total reversal. So I don't know what you want. I'm not, I don't know what choice you want to make. Listen, as for me, I don't have to think about this. I would rather live under grace than under the law. And this is one thing we need to understand. We can't just talk grace, 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 grace and say, I want to live other way. No, no, no. It's not just grace for me. Now, the, the, the real, the real, what's the word? The real, where the rubber really meets the road. It's not just that I receive grace, but really how do I give grace? I, I just cannot be a recipient of it and not be willing to give it. The proof that I have received it, is that I'm able to give it. Because freely I've received, freely I give. It humbles you. Because everything, everything under grace is totally about Jesus. It helps you to understand, listen, I can of my own self do absolutely nothing. I received it freely, so I can give it freely. Now, where I want us to really, let, let me read a couple of scriptures. And then I'm going to let you ask your questions. It's too much stuff. It really is too much. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. Or is this Hebrews chapter 10? No, Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Yep. Hebrews 10 verse 22. Remember in Exodus chapter 24? The warning was nobody comes near. Exodus 24 verse 2. Under the law, nobody comes near God. Nobody. Moses, Aaron, that's it. That's it. Hebrews 10, 22, look at the reversal. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us what? Draw near. Everybody, now you can draw near. The hierarchy is gone. No more senior apostle, junior prophet. None of that again. Out of the window. Let us, what? Draw near. Exodus 24, you cannot come near. There's a partition. There's a veil. There's a demarcation. There's hierarchy. But under grace, all of us have access to come near. He invites us to do so. Are we taking advantage of that? Now, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And then I'm going to take your questions. Back to that verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So this is the punchline tonight. How do I stop from being a complainer? How do I stop from being a whiner, murmuring, gumbling? 
How do I stop from sinning? How do I stop all the unrighteousness that so easily beset me? How do we stop that? Because we know that grace does not give us a license to sin. It's not, you cannot say because you're under grace and yet you can go do X, Y, Z. Although the truth of the matter is, you know, I was just thinking about this, uh, Dr. Anofia, uh, on Sunday. Uh, you know, when Paul said, uh, shall we continue to sin in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6? And he said, where grace abounds, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Where do you think he got that from, by the, by the way? Where do you think Paul came up, up with that revelation? <laughs> Paul was a student of the law. He saw what happened here in Exodus. How these guys complained and murmured and said to Moses, we're going to stone you, you crazy old sinner leader. You brought us out here to destroy us over and over. And God understood that by extension, they were really abusing him. And the more they did it, the more God's grace showed up. The more they complained, the more God blessed them. So Paul said, ah, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. In other words, you cannot sin your way to drown the grace of God. Now, I know that's, 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 hard, to, that's, hard, to, that's hard to take. That's hard to take. Listen, folks. Like I said to you, you have, you have to find me a place in the Gospels. Where Jesus made the condition that unless you are right, I will not heal you. Come and show it to me. I double dare you. You can't find it. You cannot find it. Because he didn't do that. He didn't. We made it up. Why? It's quiet in here. They came from all walks of life. In fact, he was playing with the Syrophoenician Syrophoenician woman. Told her, no, come on, man. We can't give the bread to the dogs. The woman said, even the dogs can can eat the crumbs. She knew who he was with. He said, listen, just give me the crumbs. I said before. And Jesus said, wow, you got it. So what I'm saying to us is, the stumbling block is in our mind. That's why Paul said we need to renew our minds. But what Paul is saying to us here in verse 18, let me read it one more time. We all, with unveiled face, unveiled, our face is no longer veiled like in the Old Testament. What happens when your face is unveiled? Now you see him. The veil will not allow you to see him. You cannot kiss the bride on your wedding day when the veil is still on her. When the preacher says, now you can kiss the bride, what do you do? You take the veil out. You've never seen a wedding where a groom tries to kiss a bride with the veil on. We understand in the natural, you must remove the veil. So which veil do you and I have to remove? The law. You will never be able to see Jesus until you take that law off. Your law blinders. Where you read the scriptures with the law mind. Let me give you a perfect example. Genesis 22. Don't, you don't need to turn to it. Abraham is taking his son as God commanded to be offered. Okay? Do you know how we under the law used to preach that message? We will say to you, my dear sister, just as Abraham got rid of his idol and gave up his Isaac, you need to give up every idol in your life. (laughs) Why? Because we are speaking with a veil. The veil still tells you, you need to do something. But under grace, the same scripture, the same passage, Jesus becomes the central figure because you've removed the veil. So instead of me seeing Moses and the law, I'm seeing Jesus. So what do I see? I see a father who out of the love of his heart gives up his son. Oh my God. 
You guys do. I, I don't think you guys are hearing what I'm saying to you. Oh, glory to God. Because when you see that, all of a sudden, you're able to appreciate what Jesus has come to do. You read the whole passage. The Bible says Abraham laid the wood in order. Really? Didn't God put a wood on his son, the cross? That's why Jesus said, the beginning of Moses and the prophets, the scriptures speak concerning me. There's nothing else about the scripture. From the beginning to the end, it's Jesus. But it is veiled from our eyes because we are reading with the blinders of the law. So if I'm a complainer, I take the veil of condemnation and I say, Jesus, the cross made the sacrifice, provided the solution for my complaining. And therefore, I never saw you, Jesus, complain. So now from this moment, I do not complain any longer. That's how you are changed. You are not changed by making a resolution. Man, I will not complain again for the next three years. You break that before you leave this door. <laughs> That's what's happened to us. It's a vicious cycle. We just keep on going around about and around and around and around because we're thinking we can make it happen. But I'm saying to you, when you behold him, the spirit of God, <laughs> the spirit of God in him, ministers of your spirit and you just find out that you, your action or your obedience is a fruit, not a root. It's a fruit. It just happens. Just as a mango on the tree does not complain and say, well, how will I produce today? You never hear a mango say that. It's automatic. But we have to behold him. We have to remove the veil. We have to see him. That's why the song we sang, like I was telling you, I'm perfect, I'm complete, I'm a miracle. It's so powerful, the, the more you see yourself like that, the more it becomes a reality. Amen? Amen? So that's what verse 18 is telling us. Remove the veil and behold us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. You are seeing him. Jesus, you are a healer. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you because you are a healer. And then you allow your mind to go on a healing journey. That's why we call this mind imagine, imagination. Casting down every word, imagination. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So, so you see him as a healer. And then you, you go on a healing journey with Jesus. You go to Jairus' house and you saw him say, Arise! You go to Lazarus' tomb. You hear him say, Lazarus, come forth. You play your own motion picture in your mind and you begin to behold him as a healer. Not getting 10 steps on how to get healed. And you know, Jesus, Jesus he, he said it in the scripture. He made it clear. The woman with the issue of blood. Look at what the Bible said. She went from healer to healer, from physician to physician. Thank God for them. But she was nothing bettered. Because she was still ministering under the blinders of the law. But finally one day she heard. Amen? Amen. Did you guys get this? Your questions and then we'll pray. And right Your questions, if you have any questions or comments. Any questions or comments? If you don't have them, maybe I have one for you. Okay, do you guys understand what I explained? Yes. You understand the point of removing the blindness? Do we have any problems understanding what God's grace has provided for us? Wow. Yes. Yes. So having gone through this many weeks, months, and years of, of this new training, yes. it, 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 it has actually rebirthed a new thought within me. Okay. You know, uh, and I think that, so, so just a few days ago, I've, I've just been thinking through where did we learn to, to, to associate receiving blessings from God with doing right? And I think it's part of our uh, upbringing. 
okay. that, you know, if you do bad, you know, you get spanked and <laughs> not just get spanked, but you don't get back right with your parents until they feel like you're remorseful enough. And somehow we deal with our children on those bases uh, as well. So having gone through this, it, it has really changed my perspective in how I relate with my children. So uh, my son, it used to be a time that, you know, when, whenever he does something right, wrong, and I, I correct him, uh, two minutes later I say, oh, you know, why don't you have ice cream or whatever it is? And somehow there was a day that he said, no, I don't think I deserve it. And I have to go back and correct him that once No, he said to you that he did not... Yeah, 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 yeah. He said he doesn't think that he did. So I had to call him <laughs> aside and tell him that, no, 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 no. Once I have told you that you're forgiven, this whole thing is behind us. Amen. And, 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 and really, I think we need to take that extra step yes. to start... Because, because we are probably the closest our children are seeing to what God is. Exactly. And, and, and if we cannot model... Yes. The right uh, pattern. Yes. I mean, how are they going to imagine it's God's huge. Like, yeah. No, it's huge. So that responsibility really rests on, on, it is, on parents. It is major. It is absolutely major that we love them deeply, correct them when they err, and let them know that after the correction is over, the punishment does not linger. It is very, it's, it, because you are right. The home is the institution where everything that we learn, that's the first place we leave it out. And so if we fail to, to, to do that correctly, we give those kids that wrong impression. And look at all of us. I mean, that's the reason all of us grew up with a wrong image of who God is. I mean, why did it take all this long for me to understand what I'm saying tonight? Because we had the wrong model, the wrong pattern, and it just fitted everything else that's around us, and we just, agree, we just accept that this is the case, and then you begin to look at scriptures, and it totally, I mean, look at the, look at Luke 15, the prodigal son. Now, you know what I just said? I said prodigal son, everybody, and we agreed, but that's not, that's not the story of the Bible. It's actually the prodigal God. That's what it is. But do you see how easy that was for us to say prodigal son, and I, I accept that? Because when you read Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, it is a story of a man or a woman. It's not about a child. The subject matter was not the kid or the coin that was lost or the sheep. It's the shepherd who went to look for the sheep. It's the woman who lost the coin who went to find the coin. And so when you get to the story of the two boys, it's the father who has lost a son who is looking. So, but, but in our mind, Based on Sunday school and years of erroneous teaching, we've imbibed that the issue is about the son. No, it was never about the son. So God put that story there to help me and you understand a father's love. Because, as you rightly said, when the boy returned home, he came home with a script. I will return to my father's house. I'm no longer worthy to be. Who told him he was not worthy? So I'll negotiate with my father. I'll tell him I'm not worthy. Just make me a hired servant. Now, did any of that thought ever occur to the father? No. The father saw him bring my best robe. What? Kill, kill a father calf. What? Who? Who is coming? And then the elder son returns and says, wait a minute, I've been here all this time. I never broke a law. I obeyed you all the time. You never killed for me. The man said, it's, it's yours all along. So that's a very good point. Yes, Kenny. Oh, you have the mic already? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And then you give it to Kenny. And then, Anita, come and stand here. So we... <laughs> yeah. You know, as I'm thinking about everything, it's, it's like, how do we get to a point where we unlearn these things? You know, because <laughs> just from the example um, that was just shared, these are learned things. And as much as you know, I mean, I can identify with that example a lot. And, you know, I'm earnestly seeking to, to you know, view and deal with my kids, and my, you know, like God deals with me. And also, just now, just thinking of the scripture where it says um, about 
who is forgiven the most. Yep, loves you the know, most. Loves the most. Yeah. And what what is revealed in that portion is your experiences kind of shapes, you know, your um, perception or your dealings. So it's just like, how do we get to that point where it's just it's so crystal clear here, but then when we start to deal with these things, it's so hard to kind of just unlearn those things. One day at a time. What, did you hear the question? And the answer is one day at a time. Every day you live is an opportunity to live by the grace of God. Unfortunately, we think it only happens in the church setting. It happens at home. It happens in the marketplace. It happens at work. Every given moment. Because remember, you are not separate. Oh, how can I put it? You are a spirit being. And therefore, you carry that spirit everywhere you go. So there's no demarcation in the... God does not make a distinction between sacred and secular. We are the ones that make that. There are so many things that we just, it's, 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 it's almost, uh, uh, I like the word to describe it. So many things that we've just accepted as norm and nothing could be further from the truth. This issue of sacred and secular is another thing. Secular means without God. Can you imagine that? So they, they say to you, what do you do? Oh, I'm, I'm in a secular job at uh, Kaiser. What? Can you imagine that? I mean, God never made a distinction. We make a distinction and say, well, sacred when I'm in church, when I'm praying, when I'm reading the Bible, but when I'm at work, I'm secular. Really? And yet God, Jesus, in John chapter 2, went to a wedding reception. What was he at that time? <laughs> was he secular or carnal? Because, because in modern-day Christianity, some circles in Nigeria, that is big-time carnality. A man of God. <laughs> That's not God. Yes, Kenny. I'm just wondering this issue of not, I mean, grace and not being able to really believe we can receive from God like that. Can it be as a result of maybe... I don't really trust or understand God's love for me and the fact that I'm actually his righteousness. So it really has nothing to do with me, but it's really so hard for me to actually <laughs> believe yeah. that it has nothing to do with my actions, Correct. with my thoughts, Correct. with, I don't know, Wrapping, okay, fine. I know we're not supposed to wrap our head around the scriptures. It's supposed to be our heart, yes. our spirit man and all that, but. But you're right. It's, it's tough, I mean. No, what you're saying I is mean. correct. And, and that's what Paul took the, that's why, that, that's the, his argument in the book of Philippians. When he started talking about the gift, of, even the book of Romans. The gift of righteousness. It's a gift. It's a gift we receive when we're born again. Again, going back to what Sharon said. Even though it's a gift, I have a hard time accepting that this gift for which I did not. So, my everything I've been trained on says this gift, you must be deserving of it. And we are thinking that's the way God sees us in order to receive from Him. But the examples in the scriptures are too numerous. The Bible says. God commended his love towards us. Why? What? Yet sinner. So, 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 so here I am, bona fide, head to toe, sinner. With nothing to offer him, and yet he loved me. How can you explain that? And he just didn't take me out of the world and say, okay, bank, I know you're going you're gonna to go to Thailand, you go to Mama, so I'm going to, I'm going to, no. For God so loved the world. The world. Everybody, every creature. Then Titus chapter 2 says in verse 11 that the grace of God unto salvation has appeared to all men. So it's not an exclusive thing, rather it's an inclusive thing. But you are right. It is, that is why I say the warfare 
The deliverance and the warfare is not fighting some, some wizard or witch in your village. It's within, between your ears, in your mind. In your mind. Because God is saying, I have this for your heart. But your mind says, ah, no, it can't be true. Ah, it's too simple. Ah, come on. I need to do seven flips before I can get it. After all, uh, how many night vigils is that? It must be three night vigils plus two days of fasting. Then I'm qualified. We take, uh, that's, what, that's what we talked about last week. The simplicity of the gospel, we complicate it. It's so simple. So we have to find a way to make it Harvard PhD curriculum. That's it. Yes. <laughs> Pastor Jazzy, I wrote him in then, then you got I, it. I, th- I think the uh, struggle for most folks is um, even if this is uh, intellectually true for me, yeah. what happens in those moments where uh, even though I believe God loves me yes. and I'm the righteousness of Christ Jesus, yet I fail to live up to that standard? Yes. I think that's where people trip up and fall. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, the, the concept that I, has nothing to do with me, yeah. you know, that even when I trip up and fall, he still loves me. Yes. Uh, it's very hard for us to kind of it is ra- hard. even wrap our hearts around. Correct. It is hard, but like I told Tonera, it's a daily thing. It, you just don't go to, on vacation for three weeks sailing across the Mediterranean and you come back and then you get it. No. It's every day. Listen, every day we have an opportunity to trip or to stand every single day. If you just think through your day, something happens. You drive on the highway, some guy cuts you off, your child comes home, they didn't do their homework, the room is nasty. Something happens for which you, are, you, you, you either leave it up or just fall down. The key is, in those moments, when you falter, you recognize, oh wow, I just missed a grace moment. And you quickly say, Jesus, you know what? You took care of this. I've not let the enemy wear me out on this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. That's it. You, you, you wash yourself with the word. And then you move on. The condemnation thing, huge. That's why Jesus addressed that squarely with the woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8. Who accused you? Who condemns you? No one. Go and sin no more. You see, because if, if you reversed it, it will not happen. If you say, go and sin no more, I do not condemn you, the lady will be back in sin. The power to overcome sin is in knowing there's no condemnation. That's why he said it like that. Who condemns you? No one. Good. Now go and sin no more. So we see that grace does not condone sin. It doesn't condone sin. It does not encourage sin. But you must place it in the right order because if you don't, you think it's you living a life, not sinning, no, no, it's Christ living in you, making you abstain. Condemnation, you must, you must deal with it. That's why I'm going to Adam in the garden. They knew they blew it. They got telemen, you know, they went and hid. They were condemned. They condemned themselves. And to show you that God did not condemn them, he came looking for them. Where are you? Why are you hiding? Where are you Please. Yes, Pastor. I wanted to. I just wanted to mention. Uh, yes. Because um, when we started the grace uh, message. Yes. Um, it was difficult for me at first. Okay. Until we started looking into Psalm 23. Ah. You remember that? Yes. Yeah, I remember. November 22. I can tell you the date. Yeah. <laughs> That's my life changed. Down for, for me. Yes. And the water kept flowing. Um, so. When I was in the UK a few weeks ago, I tried to share with some of my friends because the church that we were before we came here, they're still preaching the law. It's like you're going to die if you don't, you know. <laughs> so my wife is finding it difficult following that trend of, of, of message. Yeah. Um, but we had some friends over to come and see us, and we were talking, and I was trying to share with them, and I could see that it's very, very difficult for you to share with people to let them know that, look, grace is not really the permission for you to sing. Absolutely not. And, but to tell somebody that everything that you will get, you don't need to work for it, they, they find it difficult to comprehend. 
So they're like, no, 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 it, it can't be that easy. So I think that is really what the struggle is even in our, in our minds every yeah. single day. Yeah. That when you, come, when you come short of the glory of God, so to say, yeah. you find it difficult to want to pray because you feel God is not going to hear you today after everything that you said yesterday. Or you, did yesterday <laughs> you know? And, you know, so I think that is, that, that in itself is what we really need to deal with. Yeah. Because it comes to the ultimate sin, which is unbelief. Yes. Per se. That's it. You know? So, uh, so what I need from you, sir, is yeah. how to break it down to milk food for people who have been you know, they've been hearing this law message for 20, 30 years. Yes. And you now come to them now and say, listen, righteousness, grace, everything, you don't even need to work for it. It, it, is, it, it is by inheritance. Yes. That you inherit it. Yeah. Because I realize that we are our own block. We are. You know, because God has created us in his image. He's given us the power to stand in our own way. We have that power to stand in our own way, you know. And so, and we forget that and we blame every other, you know, every other equation around us. Yeah. So, because I want to start sharing that with my friends who, so that when we sit down, we can talk, you know, sensibly about the word of God. But yes. it's difficult when you're saying, look, you know, grace... Even when you are committing sin, God is right there and we're like, ah, I roll, roll, roll. God cannot be there with you. And you know, and you're sharing Romans 8 with them, you're reading it, you can see clearly what Romans 8 says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Well, for, for, for one thing, now first of all, we cannot answer that question in this setting tonight. That, that will take us, that's it, that's it. That's it. But suffice it to say, those of us who will share this message must you also use wisdom. That's important. I will not share unless I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down and share, them, share scriptures with them because all you just do is start up the nest and you're not able to close the deal. So that's going to be very, very important. And I will not start with the issue of uh, why you are insane because it's, it's too difficult to, to grasp. I won't even start with that. I, I will just start with, from John and begin to share. It was just the progression of the conversation. Yes, I know. Yes, 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 yeah, yeah. But but we that's, we we have a, another con we have a conversation on that, and I, I will I will I will share on that. But 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 it's not it's not. <laughs> you have to use wisdom. First of all, look at how long it is taking us to begin to even scratch the surface. Yes. Okay. No, no. She she's gonna pray. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. My question is from Ephesians two ten. Yeah. Uh huh. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Correct. Which God has prepared beforehand. Yes. That we should walk in them. Correct. So how do we marry these good works? Good. Notice, notice what he said. Good works. When you look at the scriptures, you have dead works and you have good works. So the good works he's talking about there is God has created me and you. When we got born again, we're not even, even before you were born again. God has already packaged for you and in you certain things you will do for him. So when we are talking about grace, we are not saying you will never do anything. What we are saying is you will not have to do anything to earn his blessing or earn his favor. Grace by definition says unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor. So I don't have to do to get from God. However, because I carry the God of the universe inside of me, he, according to Philippians, will be the one that's at work in me, both to will and to do of his good works. So God will motivate you. If I want you to do X, Y, Z. But you are not doing it to earn his favor. You are doing it because you are already favored. You see the difference? Huge difference. That's what James is talking about when he says, faith without works is dead. So where there is true faith, there must be a corresponding work action that confirms the faith. But the difference is, it's not just something you dream up on your own and start doing. 
is something the Holy Spirit prompts you. And because his perfect obedience is now in you, you just do it. Totally different. Does that, does that clear it up for you? Yeah. So, so, so it's not that you're just going to sit down and sleep all day, uh, sleep for nine, 19 days, you go on a uh, cruise for three years, and, and then you just check your bank account with ATM. Ah, God, you loaded it again. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> no. So there are corresponding works. But these works are good works. They are not dead works. A dead work is anything I'm doing that God didn't ask me to do. Dead. It doesn't even count. But good works are the things for which he uniquely packaged you and I and placed the gifting, the talent, the passion, and desire. Everything is packaging you. You know, you know those puppet shows we do for our kids? How, how we have those puppets and somebody behind the puppet is just making the thing. He's talking, bang, bang, bang. You know, like, like they do in the Disney World or whatever those things are. You know. so, <laughs> so it's not the puppet that's moving. It's somebody that's making the puppet make those sound. The same thing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you guidance, will lead you, will guide you into the places that you go and do, and do things for him. That's the difference. That's the difference. A question? Okay. And later, today... <laughs> Yeah, let me give our own pride at work in us. Because if I can get the sense that I'm a contributing agent to whatever it is that I'm getting from God, yes. then not only does it make me feel good, but it gives me bragging rights absolutely. over somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's absolutely. And that's why Paul says he counts all things as loss. He said, everything is done, it's like dung. You know what dung is? I don't need to break that down for you. And <laughs> you know, and that is why some big ministers are having a hard time. Because what this message does, it de-emphasizes the pulpit. It empowers the people. All of a sudden, all of a sudden you realize you don't need Mr. Preacher, Mrs. Preacher to get results from God. And that is a big issue. Because for our ego, I need to know that on any given day, there are 25 people waiting outside to see me. That's my bragging right. I'm a man of God. So I have 25 people waiting to see me. That makes me important. And God is saying, you are not, you are not even Jack. I can't say the whole thing. It's too colorful. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't say it all. <laughs> but that's the truth. That's a big difference. Amen? But it's a daily thing. And the more you walk in it, the more it begins to manifest, and the more, the more joy you're going to see manifest in your life. And so now, Sister Henrietta is going to lead us.